0: Hey guys, Trajan Dunkley was my guest this week. Trajan is a comedian and actress uh, here in the Valley who I went to school with for a little while back in college. Um, she's very funny, super insightful. Um, full disclosure, you know, she does get into some pretty vulnerable stuff in this podcast, so if that's something that you're not prepared for, just take this time to prepare for it um, because I think what she has to say is really valuable and I, I'm really excited that she had a chance to share it with us. Little update: We are now also on Stitcher Radio. If that makes any difference to you at all, uh, good for Stitcher. Um, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen. You know, it helps your profile a little bit and maybe helps uh, expose us to other people who might be interested in what these groovy artists have to say. So in the meantime, kick back and enjoy John Duckley Driving out of Phoenix, it's Tony Machetti. Um, you missed a lot of exciting uh, cat based humor uh, at the I'm beginning really of that. I'm
1: all the cat stuff has gone on. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was very relatable. It made us all very approachable. It was, it was good stuff. I think
1: we finally solved the Syrian conflict, too.
0: Yeah, I guess. Insight in that. I hope you're listening, Assad. I hope. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, getting into some hot takes. But um, <laughs> I was just asking Trajan, uh with Trajan, Duckley with us today, um, who I used to go to school with, uh, just about how she got started into acting uh
1: so i started acting um the the first stage thing i did was second grade um and we did like a like a it's a jungle out there it's like a little review about being in the jungle (laughs) Uh, and i was one of the talking spiders um and like you basically like volunteered and i was like i want to be a talking spider i want to be a talking spider
0: Um, Was this, like, a pre-scripted thing, or was this something that, like, the teacher was just putting together with you guys?
1: I don't... Like, it was um, to bookend our rainforest unit, so we basically were just, like, learning and, like, telling everyone what we learned about the rainforest, and there were, like, songs and everything. And we had, like, little t-shirts that we wore while we were performing. It was super cute. Um, But I was one of the talking spiders, and I was just so jazzed to be on stage. (laughs) Like, I was super stoked. Like, I'm going to say things. It's going to be super important. Um, so just like no hesitation
0: at first, like the opportunity oh yeah, came was, and you're like, "This is what I was born basically, for."
1: Basically, <laughs> like I've always been like a pretty histrionic child. Um, like I was in, I, I, I was basically an only child because I, I have two sisters and a brother, but they're all ten year, ten plus years older than me. So I, I was basically the only kid in like a sea of young adults. Um, you're gonna hear catfighting soon, uh, starving artist <laughs> audience. Um, so you, you kind of. you you, you learn to either kind of fade to the background or make yourself known. And I kind of did a combination of both. Um, Like I, I kind of knew that I wasn't a match emotionally for my family. Like, like I was kind of a, I I was a little bit more withdrawn with my family, but being a withdrawn Dunkley means being a very histrionic normal person. (laughs) Um, And so I was just like constantly kind of craving that, um, I guess recognition is the word I was, I was always kind of craving people to like kind of notice me and see me. Um, I think the first acting, hello. Uh, I, yeah, from there I like, I did choir. Um, well, first I did orchestra because it was either like do orchestra or um, be in, like be in gym and I'm not athletic at all.
0: Um. So was it? Like, do you pick your own instrument? Did you kind of fill in the gaps, or what did you?
1: Yeah, I played, I played viola. Um, we like third grade, they're like, Hey, you want to be in orchestra? I'm like, Sure. And I got a viola, like, I still have the viola. And my mom, like, my mom found it and she's like, Oh, do you want this? I'm like, I have not touched this thing since I was 11, <laughs> but sure. <laughs> um, but from there, I, I went into choir because choir was a little bit more my stees than orchestra. So it was, you had the opportunity to be a soloist. Um, so I did, I was in choir from like, fifth grade to like end of high school um loved it uh high school was when I did my first like play play um I had auditioned for the musical my freshman year and I didn't get in I was really bummed about that I'm like my career is over obviously (laughs) um and then the drama teacher was like I like I like your style kid try out for this next play and I did and I got in I really loved it uh, and then he was like, "I really like your style, kid. Join the debate team," and I did. And the rest is history.
0: So the theater instructor was also the debate coach.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, our drama teacher was also our debate coach, and then we had like um, some volunteer um, debaters who were either former McClintock alumni or um, or people that had like been on the circuit with him um, that would come in and like teach us how to be debaters. Um, And even though I was on the debate team, it's, like, speech and debate. And what I mostly did was the speech part. So that's, like, more of, like, the competitive acting or, like, the oratory stuff. Um, And that was what I really did to, like, kind of supplement the time between being in shows and, like, doing, like, community theater and stuff. So I
0: definitely want to come back to that because I know that's something that has popped up a few times, the kind of the theme of the debate. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but just to kind of push the timeline forward, too. So, all right. So you did debate and theater all through high school and then you uh got to college and were you always planning on being a theater major
1: um basically like there was before i kind of knew you could go to school for acting like my other passion is like literature and history and stuff so i played around i played around with being like an english major or like a historian like i wanted to be a history teacher for a little while um but none of like a none of those pay and b none of them were really like what i like I'm, like I'm obviously like passionate about them, but I knew I wanted to like be an actress. And yeah, where the money is, that, yeah. where, ex- where all the cash flow is. <laughs> um, yeah, like in high school, um, I wanted to go to NYU because everybody wants to go to NYU. <laughs> um, but in high school, like my theater teacher had gone to um, NAU, my choir teacher had gone to NAU, and I really looked up to them and respected them. And I'm like, oh well, that, that's where you go to be a good actor when you don't have money to go out of state. <laughs> Um, so I went, um, applied for an AU, got in, went to the theater, uh, did a year up there, uh, and I came back home because I was miserable.
0: <laughs> uh, so I mean, not to dive too much into it, but I mean, was it the program itself, or was it just like the overall atmosphere?
1: It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily the program. It was really like the people that, like, were specifically were in my year. Like, hmm. I like I really like respected the professors up there, and I like. I still like follow like some of their work but like I I, the first play I did um was with a director who like really changed my my outlook on acting and like like what goes into like becoming a character and I am super grateful for that and like the older students that I was working with I was really like I was so jazzed to be working with them and to see like how they would go from being like just kind of like a fun loving guy to like you know fuck like we did Romeo and Juliet. I was gonna say that was was that Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, that was the one that we met on. Yeah, um, yeah. Tony goes from being a dick to in real life to being a dick in the play.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm very method. I've been performing for that for years now.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but we did Romeo and Juliet, and like I had liked Shakespeare, but it was the first time that I really like got Shakespeare and like wanted to learn more about him. so that was like a really great experience. So, like working with the people who were the leads was really great. Mm-hmm. And then I would go into like my um my acting one one class, which is like you basically do a bunch of monologues. I'm like, where the fuck is this passion? <laughs> like why is everybody here like a a bad actor and B like kind of an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> So, like, I, like, as the seniors were graduating, like, every semester, like, a new senior would graduate. I'm like, oh, I don't get to work with her anymore. I don't get to work with him anymore. I got to work with these assholes for the next three years. I hate all of these people. I got to go. Wow. So I just kind of, I said, arrivederci to the program. Um, and it's not like, like, I'm, it looks like things are turning around and I'm, I'm glad, but I'm not going back up there
0: that's that's fair and uh, so when you came down to asu though you you didn't stick with just a straight theater major though you no seen, i yeah. didn't
1: um uh part of the reason why i left nau was race-based because they didn't know how to deal with a black actress that was better than all of the white actors Uh, And a lot of my colleagues way of doing that was bullying me and trying to convince me to not audition for things, uh, which is part of the reason why I left. Like I had a lot of people like to my face say, you probably shouldn't audition for that because a black actress has never played it. And like, it's not going to be you. And like, oh, oh, we cast very traditionally in these roles, so, like, you're not going to get in it. It's just, like, wasting your time. And it's, like,
0: other students saying that to me. <laughs> like, if anyone's going to, like, know how things get cast, it's going to be the fucking freshman class. Yeah, but... <laughs> it's,
1: it was such garbage. And I was, like, I'm pouring so much of my fucking energy into these people that are never going to respect me. Um, and I was just, like, really, like, downtrodden about, like, the whole idea of, like, theater and acting. I'm, like, fuck it. I'm never going to be an actress anyway. No one's ever going to want to cast me. Like, all this bullshit. And I read this cracked article. I I know. I read this cracked article that was like, um, like top five movie tropes that are surprisingly outdated or something. Mm -hmm. And it like just listed like a bunch of like old movie tropes, like black guys never get with white girls or like, you know, you ever see an Asian leading male? And I was so pissed off that it was like 2010, I think was when I was a freshman. Um, and like the shit was still going on. And I'm like, well, fuck it. Fuck it. I'll do it. Um... So I, I decided to go from, like, being an actress to being a screenwriter so I could have a little bit more, like, power over, like, what narratives were going out. Nice. Um So mostly my degree is from spite. Uh, <laughs> um, so I enrolled in the film studies program at ASU, which is technically through the English department. Um, and I was thinking about going into the Herberger School, but you have to take, like, three extra math classes, and I was not going to do that. <laughs> um so I did film studies, um, and transferring to ASU was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life, especially as an artist. Um, I was able to, like, for the first time I had a black professor. Um, I kind of forgot that was an option. <laughs> um, I had a black female professor, uh, who's one of the most influential people I've ever met in my life. Uh, Dr. Bambi Higgins. How you doing? Uh, <laughs> she teaches at UC Irvine now. Um, and she, um... She, this is like, my junior year. I was in this class, Comedy of Social Discourse. Um, and I had always loved stand-up. Like, I'd always been a fan mm-hmm. of stand-up. Um, like, I would watch the Comedy Central presents, like, those half hours, oh, a yeah. whole bunch. Um, and, like, the big gay sketch show I would watch. Um, and I so, remember that. I never got to see it, but I remember, yeah. like, commercials and stuff for it. Yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was super stoked when um, Kay McKinnon was in the That's new right. Ghostbusters. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I know her. <laughs> um So I, um, so I'd always like really liked comedy and for a little while I'd like played around being a stand-up comedian and then I'm like, no, I'm going to be a real dramatic actress. (laughs) Uh, And then I took this class um, and it was about how comedy, like as a social tool is usually like people are a lot more willing to listen to something Mm -hmm. that makes them laugh than something that makes them like cry or think. So comedians can get away with a lot of like really in like, really edgy social satire mm. or like talking about really like serious political or social topics without like getting as harassed as some other people can because like oh it's just a joke you're making me laugh but you're also making me think I never thought of it that way and it was like playing into like my whole seas of like I'm gonna change the world with fucking movies uh, which is still my steeze which is still what I'm mm-hmm. trying to do but <laughs> um so I'm like oh shit yeah, no, comedy is awesome. I should keep, I, I, I should do something with that. I should be a comedy scholar or something. <laughs> um, and the final for that class was you could write a paper about a comedian, you could write a pilot for a screenplay, um, you could record a podcast, or you could do a 15 minute stand up set.
0: Wow.
1: Um, and I already had to write like two screenplays that semester, so I'm like, I'm not going to fucking do that um that's a lot to ask
0: of a class is you can do a 15 minute stand-up set
1: yeah it was originally just going to be like a like an outline Mm -hmm. of like an hour like a comedy hour and then um she was like yeah a that's a lot that's fucking insane for me to ask of you and b i want you guys to actually perform it so like you know what it's like to be a stand-up comedian if, if even for one night and like a lot of the people that were in that class were like, obviously like comedians and they mm-hmm. were part of ASU comedy. Um, and they're people that will play into the next part of my story when <laughs> I get back into acting. Um, but, um, but yeah, in hindsight, now that I've been doing comedy for a while, like 15 minutes is so much to <laughs> ask from people. <laughs> um, but I wrote like, I wrote like 10 minutes, but it was still like 10 minutes. Really Um, so I did um, comedy, the comedy set, and I'm like, oh, that was super fun. The one and only time I'm going to do stand-up comedy. I'm glad everybody liked it. And um, and the professor came up to me after that night, and she was like, you killed. Keep doing this. Why aren't you at another show right now? Like, this is, I, I support you 10,000%. Like, please be a stand-up. And I'm like, okay, I'll do whatever you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like like, a bunch of other people, like, I just got, like, a crazy good response from people, and they were like, that was your first time? How was that your first time? That can't have been your first time. You've done this before. I'm like, no, I promise. This is, like, the second time I did comedy, and the first time was a rehearsal for this show. Um, and so, like, one of the other comedians on the bill's like, hey, uh, I'll give you five minutes um, at this bar. Um, go ahead and do it. And I went, and I did it, and I liked it. It was in front of, like, three people, but I'm still like, yeah, I'm super jazzed! Um, and then another one of my Because the first few times I had done comedy was for my friend's zine opening, Mm -hmm. Um, and the second time I did it was for this class. Um, And at the zine opening was where I met Hattie Hayes, uh, who is the second influential person in my story. Um, (laughs) Hattie just recently moved to New York, but she um, had lived in Arizona for like four years when she was going to ASU, and she just like... Changed the Ace, the Arizona comedy scene for the better, and we all miss her. And she's great. Uh, and this is the Hattie Hayes show
0: now. Um, <laughs> she's an avid listener. Of the
1: <laughs> um, but she she was really big in comedy, um, and she was like, "Hey, please keep doing this. You were super funny. You should get in touch with this guy Michael Palladino. He runs this show. Um, you got the goods. Um, it's for um, like newcomers to the mic, like people who've been doing comedy for like less than three months." Uh, I was like, sure, I'll do whatever you want me to. (laughs) Uh, And like most of like the first six months I did comedy or the first few months I did comedy was basically like, "Uh, sure, you want me to do the show? Okay, I'll do whatever you want me to. Um, So that's how I met Michael Palladino. That's how I met a bunch of other people who I'm still pretty tight with in the comedy community, I like to think. Um, Michael's now my, um, I now um, Mm co-host Great Exposure with Michael, which is um, the monthly underwear show um which we
0: just missed this incarnation but by the time this comes back out again i'm hoping it's gonna be right around the corner
1: yeah it'll be october 19th will be the next one um so that's so yeah i started doing stand-up for a little while um and i did a few sets and then like i don't know what happened like i like i had like an okay set and then i like on the bus ride home i like just started having like a giant panic attack. And then like a dude like was being mean to me. And I'm like, this is a sign I can't do comedy anymore. Um, so I stopped doing comedy for a little while. Um, and I started doing poetry because <laughs> that's what you do when you don't do comedy <laughs> is you get into the poetry scene. <laughs> and I kind of, I go- <laughs> and I kind of got into poetry the same way I got into comedy was like, I, I like I wrote poetry Um, and like, um, and the other influential person in my story, Carissa Lucille, Mm -hmm. she was like, I like your steez, uh, do you want to publish, like, some poems, or do you want to read some
0: poems in my zine event thing I was like yeah sure whatever you want me to Uh, it seems to be like a running theme like even when you're like acting as a freshman of just like you kind of stumbling into something and somebody being like you're amazing do this forever and I feel like every artist out here who's like gotten rejection from like all of their professors is like a little bitter right now so that's super impressive
1: (laughs) yeah probably like (laughs) like I I feel like a lot of people secretly hate me because I (laughs) Cause A, like I started out like comedy, like for a class for a like sold out audience or like not sold out, but like a giant audience. Cause like everyone was there to support their classmates. Um, and then like, just like good shit has just kept happening to me. Like a lot of bad shit, like a lot of really shit, shitty shit, yeah. shit. But like, also like, like I also get really bad imposter syndrome. Like every time someone asks me to do something, I'm like, you know, I'm garbage, right? Like I've only been good at this for a few months. Um, <laughs> Like I host two shows now, and I still feel like it's a fluke. But like, I'm also pretty good at hosting. I feel like, but that's a that also plays into the the
0: poetry story. Yes. Oh, yes. So let's get back to the poetry. Yeah. Then. All right. So like the a- th- the third influential person in your life.
1: Uh. Yeah. Carissa Lucille, um, who runs the Wasted Inc. Zine distro. Um. Like, I forget like how exactly I got into zines. I think like my roommate played an event. They played the survivor, the first survivor zine event. Um. And we, like, Chris and I got to talking, um, and I was like, yeah, no, like, I really love zines, I just don't know what I would do. Um, and then there was, like, a poetry thing for, like, one of the zine openings, and I read at it, and people just kept on asking me to read. Um, and, like, I tried for a really long time to be, like, a poet, um, but there's a lot of emotional labor that goes into being a poet, and, like, a lot of just, like, emotional openness that, like, I was not healthy for me. So I kind of, like respectfully stepped back from the poetry community um and i also started hosting a lot of house shows um you can't see my living room but it is perfect uh, to hold 20 uh, hipsters and like the stage <laughs> would be like right over there like underneath that capo so it's
0: like framed nicely as like a proscenium right yeah
1: there. <laughs> it's like i had a perfect house for doing house shows um But, like, cops kept getting called, and, like, people were just, like, kind of generally douchey. Like, the last house show I did, like, some dude went into my fridge without asking. He's like, I thought that was just, like, what you did at a party. I'm like, have you never left your house before? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you don't just go into people's fridges without asking. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? I didn't even know that was an
0: option. Right?
1: Like, Like, because you're a decent person. (laughs) Um. So, like, I exonated the house shows. I like stepped back from the comp. Um. And like, by the time I like stopped doing house shows and like stepped back, I had like gone back into comedy full force again because of Hattie Hayes. Um. For a, like a year ish, she ran a show in Phoenix, Lady Killers, um, and it was the only weekly female comedy show in Phoenix. Like, there had been, like, monthly shows or, like, one-off events, but it was the only one that every week was dedicated to having all-women comics, and it was the only one that the open mic was also going to be all-female. And uh, through that, that was how I started doing comedy again. Um, Like, she would just keep messaging me, and she'd be like, hey, I really want you to do Lady Killers. You can do, like, a story if you want to. Like, I I did a couple of storytelling events. Um, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do a storytelling thing, but I'm, like, not stand-up anymore. Um, I'm not stand-up anymore. Um, So I did a couple of storytelling events. They went over really well. And she's like, you should just, like, try to write five minutes. I'm like, I'll try. But, like, I don't think it's going to be any good. She's like, just try. Uh, So I did my five minutes and got a really great response. And, like, I had that same, like, good feeling in my body that I had, like, the first time I did stand-up. And I'm like, oh, right, it's because I like doing this. (laughs) And, like, I never really had that when I did poetry. And, like, part of it was because I was also just, like, so, like, like, all of my poetry was, like, here's the deepest, darkest thing that has happened to me. Take that. Don't care about me as a person. And comedy was, like, here's a weird thing that I did once that's, like, not super heavy, but it's also, like, really fucking weird. You can pretend that, like, this happened or this didn't, but, like, here you go. And, like, people would laugh, and I would laugh, and I would feel happy. And I like feeling happy after performances.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like I was in a poetry scene for a little while, but I left it as well for other reasons. But I mean, it is there is kind of an odd pressure on you to like to get, like dig deep, not because you necessarily wanted to write that poem, but because like the audience wants it. The audience yeah. deserves your your deepest truths, and how dare you not be you know as yeah, profound exactly. as possible? Yeah, exactly.
1: And like people would never outright say like I need more emotional labor from you, but like after like after a poetry like i'll give you an example from after a poetry show and after a comedy show after a poetry show i did a poem about rape because that's what you do when you're fucking poem you write about your rape that's what you do you have to it's in the bylaws uh and i'm like okay wrote this for me performed it for the people that's great three girls come up to me crying mm. um like at different points in the evening they're like that spoke to me so hard and just like deep deep emotions that I just was not feeling and did not want to feel from someone else that I did not know. And it made me so uncomfortable that someone was coming to me with like all these deep, deep, deep feelings that I just was not prepared for. Cause I did the poem, I came off, I was already emotionally drained and now you're expecting me to like deal with your emotions. And like, that's fine. A lot of people can handle that. It just drained me. Like I would come home and I would just like be dead for like a whole day. After a comedy show, I do a joke about how sometimes I'll look at my NuvaRing and wonder if I could saute it because it's not the least nutritional thing in my fridge. <laughs> and people laugh and they're like, damn, that NuvaRing joke was hilarious. Do you want to do time on, uh, do you want to do time at monkey pants? Or like, damn, you're super funny, girl. I've had the exact same thought about my NuvaRing. And then we just start talking about how cool rings are for five minutes. <laughs> That's- and
0: positive
1: yeah it's a positive it's a positive thing and like i know that there are a lot of comedians and it really depends like if i had done like happy poems like i don't think i would have been as burnt out by the comedy scene or by the poetry scene but like there are a lot of like comics who will be like let me just tell you about how shitty my life is and pretend it's funny and you're just laughing because you don't know what else to do because we laugh at trauma and i'm traumatizing you right now and then they're like the comedy scene's toxic man it's like comedy (laughs) chews you up and spits you out and i'm like yeah, because you keep on talking about your divorce, man, and, like, not in a <laughs> funny way. Like, I have a friend who, like, does jokes about his divorce in a funny way because he's dealt with it in actual therapy. <laughs> and I think that's, like, one of the things that, like, I like I'm tr- I try to, like, delineate between, like, comedy, like, myself and comedy is, like, I have, like, a, a wee bit of an emotional distance in my comedy where I don't really talk about, like, super heavy subjects. Like, there are a lot of traumatic things that have happened to me that I don't talk about on stage because... Like, I can't find a way to make them funny, and, like, it's not my audience's job to, like, take on my emotional labor and, like, listen to, like, oh, her dad is dead. That's sad. Oh, boy. What do I do now? And, like, it doesn't make for, like, a fun night, and, like, I'm in comedy to have fun. Like, I'm not necessarily... Like, I'm in comedy to have fun to make people laugh and to become a better writer, not necessarily to, like, cleanse my soul of this deep darkness. And, like, that's why some people do it, and that's fine. That's not what I'm in art for anymore because that burns you out so goddamn fast
0: (laughs) and I I do want to like talk a little bit about your content too because like I I only got to see you do that with this one set but I know like just in like your your overall kind of like Twitter persona and Mm -hmm. stuff like that which I feel and stupid saying that uh, <laughs> Twitter persona but that's where we're at now um, it's just like yeah, you needed like you dealt with like sexual content and stuff like that you're really mm-hmm. open about like your experience with sexuality and the sexual experiences was that something that you were comfortable with right off the bat or did you have to kind of work yourself into that
1: my first set was all about my sexuality because um, at the time I was like I was an out lesbian. Um, Now I'm an out bisexual and the lesbian community is still not forgiving me for going back to dudes. But that's the topic for another podcast, Um, which I actually have recorded. You can listen to it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, my first comedy set was really all about like my sexuality. Like most of my jokes were about um, like, like being a lesbian. And like I had a few jokes, like I have a joke about like cultural appropriation. Um, like, how I felt like I was appropriating my, like, frat boy culture by listening to Bob Marley and smoking weed when I'm Jamaican, (laughs) that I've, that I've since reworked to be about fucking a frat dude's girlfriend, so it all comes back to me being queer. Um, but yeah, like, it was something, like, my sexuality is something that is not traumatic, that's, like, heavy emotionally, sure, but it's not, like, as heavy as some of the things that I've gone through, and, like, as, like... Like it's something that I find joy in usually, and then like I talk about sex and relationships a lot. Um, those don't bring me joy. Like I'm very sad about them, but I also like, <laughs> like I, I feel like I find a way to like twist it to make it a little bit, to make it a little bit funny. Like it's a stereotype that all female comics talk about is relationships, but I've been in some weird ones. <laughs> and also like I feel like sex is like eighty percent of what I do. It's like I play like. Age of Empires, and I fuck dudes that don't call me back. And that's that's basically what I do, and I haven't really worked on my Age of Empires set yet.
0: That is a great uh, Tinder bio, by the way. <laughs> um, it's, that, that's interesting. That's the idea of almost, like, palatable traumas. Mm-hmm. Like, that what what's just sad enough that like an audience can relate to us and be like oh man been there but like not enough that they like, be like oh man I've been there yeah <laughs> that's an interesting line to walk
1: yeah like like I'm all about like talking about like palatable traumas like you said like I'm all about like towing that line but I'm also not about like giving an audience too much of myself because like it's a one it's a one sided relationship and I know that like I am giving you something. And you're not really giving me much back besides validation, and I can't like live on validation, you know. <laughs> like I like I have like it's taken me a really long time because I used to be the kind of person that's like my audience is my family. You can have everything. <laughs> or like now I have a really solid group of friends that I can lean on for the actual emotional labor, and then I can take what I learned from there, put it on stage, and then take it take it back. Like I like what I put on stage is. A version of me, but it's not who I am, and I and I prefer it that way. Like my the, like the audience is not my friends. The audience is there to like be entertained by me, and it sounds cynical, but that's that's the nature of the transaction. Like it's the same with my coworkers. Like I tell my coworkers a version of myself, but they don't know like all of the weird shit that I do outside of work, you know. And like that doesn't mean it's a bad relationship. It, it is just the nature of the relationship that we have and the boundaries that I need to set up to be emotionally healthy.
0: And that, that is something that interests me is the idea of, like, the artist's relationship with the audience, especially in stand-up, just because, like, stand-up, it's right there and the re- reaction, even more so than just, like, live theater, is right there because mm-hmm. you have to deal with hecklers and, and all that shit and, like, the absence of laughter mm-hmm. and all that. And it's an interesting thing where its it seems to be, like, if they if they aren't reacting the right way to you, you can almost get angry with them for not enjoying it correctly. Mm-hmm. And that just seems crazy to me. It seems like a special unique thing. I mean, how do you... How do you take that step i guess how, how did you br- go away from like depending on the audience's approval to kind of being
1: uh, i had a complete psychotic break oh. <laughs> uh that's how i did it <laughs> um it was actually during the election mm-hmm. uh as all traumas of the past <laughs> year have originated mm-hmm. it started with the election my like my persona like you probably know, like, back in, like, a couple mm-hmm. years ago, I was way more politically active on Facebook, and I had a lot more opinions, and I posted a lot more. Sure. Sure. Um And so during the election, people, like, not only was I, like, this cool poetry girl that was totally open talking about her traumas and, like, totally an advocate for all of this stuff, um, I was also the girl that was posting, like, political rants on Twitter and, like, talking about her mental illness and all of this stuff. So, like, people had a version of me that, like, I was snappy and cool and confident and healed, and I was not who I was. And... Uh, people would like start like as more and more of these human rights atrocities were happening and more and more of just like seeing like the scummy underside of America was happening a lot of people a lot of white people a lot of straight people a lot of dudes didn't know how to handle it and so they're like who do I know that can handle it oh Trey John always has like really like good comebacks I'm gonna tag her in this post and she'll say something witty and like it'll get 10,000 likes and then like this person will be hashtag owned And they would think that they're the only person doing it, but, like, 50 times a day, like, sometimes I'd wake up to, like, 50-something notifications, and, like, half of them were people tagging me in articles about black lynchings, hate crimes against gay people, you know, the fucking, um, whatever bullshit was going on, like, Donald Trump said this Mm. misogynistic thing, just, like, people and then like people devils advocating like okay well maybe this maybe that and then they'd be like oh I can't handle this Trajan Dunkley can you jump in and they basically be asking hey can you say something witty while you're arguing about your right to exist as a human being thanks girl every day and I was just seeing more and more of this stuff and I was stuck in like the 24-hour news cycle and I was literally like I'm gonna kill myself if I keep on having to do, if I keep on having to see all this shit that people are just tagging me and without thinking about how it's affecting me, I'm going to kill myself because I can't handle living in this world. I can't handle constantly seeing that there are so many people that just don't view me as a human being. Like I have no worth. I have no this. I have no that. I just need to kill myself. And I obviously didn't want to, (laughs) but um, like I wrote this like huge Facebook post. I'm like, do not tag me in political arguments. I will talk about things on my own time. You do not understand this is a life or death situation. I will literally kill myself and you will all be responsible if you continue to do this. And luckily, like, I had a lot of people who were, like, super supportive about it. And, like, I have, like, people stopped doing it. Um, and then there were a lot of people who, like, because I wasn't, like, this fun, snappy, like, politico anymore. Like, just, like, people who were, like, su- hashtag super mm-hmm. close friends like kind of faded by the wayside and I'm like okay well I mean trash is taking itself out that's fine so like I really cut back my social media consumption I really cut back about what I talked about and what I read because like I, I know the world is garbage and I know that there's a lot of people who just don't see me as a person because I'm a queer black girl but I don't need to constantly see it on my <laughs> Facebook page like I unfollowed a lot of my friends who like that's all they'll post about um and like Some people say, like, oh, now you're in your liberal bubble, but I really just see it as self-preservation. Like, I will go to it when I need to or when I am able to. But being constantly inundated with that was was literally killing me. And so that was when I also made, like, a conscious effort to, like, kind of step back from the poetry community. Because that community kind of breeds that kind of, like constantly being on and constantly being like at the height of emotions like mm-hmm. if you're not talking about it you don't care like that kind of bullshit like not bullshit like it's it's true like you should be talking about a lot of the things that are happening but I like I stepped back and I really like re-examined myself I'm like how much of myself am I willing to give and what kind of person am I willing to like show to people and I like I was doing stand-up a little bit more by then and I was noticing that like my stand-up was not like as politically charged. as that it was really like a lot more like personal. I know it like, it oh. sounds ironic. Like my, my, my comedy is more personal. So it's like less, I'm putting less of myself out there, oh. but like, it was a lot more about like my personal like my dating life and like my relationship with my family. But I was able to like, t- because I was making jokes about it and because I was kind of altering it in a way that like the point isn't that I have a checkered relationship with my mother. The point is that like this weird thing happened at a grocery store. Um, or whatever. That's not an actual joke I have. That's those are words coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, like because I was able to like frame it and spin it and say something kind of weird about it, it didn't feel nearly as personal as me just being like, Hey, yo, let me tell you about how I haven't talked to my brother in 15 years because we differ as people, you know, Mm -hmm. like it, it, I was able to put a little bit more distance from myself because it was more writing exercise than necessarily me just pouring my soul into something.
0: I do want to talk a little bit about that, just the idea of being a writing exercise and just kind of like how much technique goes into performance and stuff like that. I mean, going back to your debate, Daisy, like you said, it was it was very much competitive acting type of thing when you were doing the speech. So was that something that always came naturally to you or, or like is there a lot of time that you spend putting things into a certain rhythm, putting things into a certain tempo? That type of thing?
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm a – this is going to sound so pretentious, but I feel like I'm a very naturalistic performer, like I kind of like I that was one of the things that kind of stopped me from having as much success in speech because there was a certain like there was a certain way you did things there was a certain way you talked there was a certain way you moved your hand and I was never great at at tech is, is what we called it like mm-hmm. technical acting but I'm really good at like emoting and I'm really good at talking and I'm really good at, at changing my voice and I'm really good at writing um so like when you see like I'm not a very like movement-oriented comic. Um, like, I have been told that I I tell jokes in a way that makes the audience have to listen and have to come to you because, like, I'll be, like, I'll be holding it and, like, I'll be, like... Yeah, I was looking at my ring and I was, like, wondering if I could saute it and if it would taste good because I have $4 in my bank account and I'm hungry, like, and I'm not, like... So I was, like, looking in the fridge and I noticed my NuvaRing, like, not, like... Like, that's never really been the type of person that I... Like, I've always been, like, way more vocal than I have been physical. Mm. Um Like, I don't really, like, emote... Like, I talk with my hands, but that's about it. Um So usually, like, 90% of what I work on when I'm working on a set or I'm working on a piece is what the words are going to be. Like, I... Like going from like joke to stage, it's usually like I'll say something out loud and I'll be like, oh that's funny, then I'll write it down in my notebook, and then I'll say it a few more times and I'll change it. Like I'll I'll say I was looking at my new ring and I was wondering if I could saute it. Oh oh, no, that's dumb. I'll I was looking at my new ring and I was wondering if I could chop up some bell peppers and and if it would taste good. That's stupid. I was looking at my I was looking at my new ring. I was wondering how it would taste with garlic powder. That's good. That's real good. And then I'll write down like that specific line. and then, like, I'll just kind of, like, say it to myself in my head a lot. Like, I I also am, like, not huge on, like, saying my jokes out loud. Because, like, I, I, like, it always, like, like, rehearsing by myself is always the weirdest thing that I've ever had to do. It, it feels weird talking to myself a lot. So, like, I know exactly how my jokes sound in my head. And I have every word, like, in my head. But sometimes, like, when I go on stage, it's, like, maybe the fourth or fifth time I've said it out loud. Um and like the way that the joke is constructed will change like depending on like where it is in the set because i'm not necessarily like a joke joke setup like setup punchline setup mm-hmm. punchline i'm more of a storyteller because that's kind of how i started i started out with screenplays and with storytelling mm-hmm. so i'm more set oriented than like joke oriented so, like, depending on, like, how I'm structuring the set or what the theme is going to be, like, sometimes the theme will be I'm bad at relationships, or sometimes the theme will be I'm a depraved bisexual. Sometimes the theme will be I'm not ready for motherhood and never will be, but I love children. Uh, <laughs> if you want to come see my sets ever, that's basically the three mate <laughs> the three revolving topics. Um, like, depending on where the joke is in the set, like, I'll have, like, the tagline, I'll have the concept, and depending mm-hmm. on where it is in the set, it will change. Like, word, like, the words will change, the movements I do will change. Like, I very rarely have a joke that is the exact same, like, every time I perform it, just because that's not necessarily how I perform. Like, I don't have, yes. like, jokes necessarily. I feel like I have funny sentences. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. Um, so, you have these things coming kind of naturally to you, it seems mm-hmm. like, this whole time. So, um, uh, when it comes to, like, kind of these gimmick shows, I, I hate to use the word gimmick, but mm-hmm. I don't know, don't know any better words. Mm-hmm. Um, like the exposure shows, and then um, I know you did uh, The Stores Objection, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, do you feel like that ever kind of throws you off with your style, or do you feel like it might come easier to you? Does it make any difference? Well,
1: with, with great exposure, um, especially since my set is so sex-oriented anyways, um, it didn't really, like, throw me off much. Um, it was just that I was in my underwear and mm-hmm. like I'm in my underwear frequently, and I know I have a hat bad, so I didn't i like I didn't have the same like fear connected to being in my underwear that I know a lot of people did. Um but yeah, the underwear show was basically mm-hmm. just another one of my sets, but I was just in my underwear raising money for charity. Um with the store's objection, it was a little bit it was a little bit daunting, a because it's a because it's such a big show because I, in my mind, I felt like I was auditioning for co-counsel because Matt had reached out to me to be the co-counsel this month, mm-hmm. um, well, in October. Um, and I was like, if I suck, he's not gonna let me do it. And I really want to be co-counsel. <laughs> so I really needed a good set. Um, and it was the first, that was the first time I had done um, character work. Um, Cause character work is a big theme in The Source Objection, just because like, um, for for those of you not familiar, um, The Source Objection is like a comedy show where you get certain topics and then Matt Stores and his co-counsel will fact check you in the middle of your set. <laughs> so if you say, so I was fucking this chick with my eight inch dick. He'll be like, uh, I have heard from several sources that it is six inches uh, at most. Um, not an actual thing, but it would be funny if that happened. <laughs> Um, but basically like they fact check you on stage and it's a little it's half improv, half your set. And so because it's um it's brand new material that you're doing, so because it's like brand new material and it's such like specific slash broad topics, like one of the topics um that I had was the Stanislavski method. (laughs) Um, like people take that opportunity to do character acting. So I created this character Becky Breckensale. Um, who is an aspiring actress who is such a devoted a student of Stanislavski that she she's auditioning for the part of debilitatingly anxious female stand-up comedian in the store's objection. So she tries to find a female comic in Phoenix who has debilitating anxiety. That would be me. So she steals my identity, hacks into my OKCupid okay account, and sends dudes messages as me. And then she reads the best of the worst. So it was... <laughs> It was basically me doing, like, a tried-and-true method, reading bad OK Cupid messages, but the premise is so fucking weird. Like, this woman stealing someone's identity for the sake of, uh, like, a shitty theater production. <laughs> um, so that was the first time that I had really done character work. And I wouldn't say that Becky Brackensale is necessarily super different than me, but it was not me. And it was the first time I had really done that in stand-up and I liked it, but I don't know if I would do character work again. Like I really liked the character, but instead of being like, Oh, I should incorporate her into more stand up routines. I was like, Oh, I should write a web series about her mm. because I still like have an idea that like when I am writing about my own personal experiences, I'm Trey even if I am not a, even if I am a different version of Trey And then if you want to do a different character, you do theater, you do TV and I do all of them because I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess to answer your original question, uh, it throws me for a little bit of a loop, but not, but I still, I, I guess I still make it about me is what, <laughs> is how That's I deal with that.
0: Um, speaking of series though, so I definitely wanna uh, talk about Buddies and how, how that exp- yeah. opportunity came up and how what that whole experience was like, yeah.
1: It all started in the Comedy for Social Discourse class. Um, and this also is my triumphant return to acting because I had stopped <laughs> acting for, um, after I left NAU. I thought I was done with it, but I still had that bug in me, like the mm. the last, the first year I was there, I was miserable because I didn't know what to do. Like I'd been performing since I was seven and then all of a sudden I'm not performing anymore. I don't have rehearsals to go to. Like it, it, it was kind of like leaving a bad marriage where like mm. it, it, it was right for me, but it was also hard because so much of my life and my identity had been a part, had been being an actress and being in theater. So I was I went through a really rough time trying to transition from being an actress to being a writer. Um so like I, I would be like, okay, I'm a writer, but I also act sometimes, or like I'm I'm mostly a writer, but I also do stand up, and I guess I'll be in your show if you want me to, or I'll like be a bit part in this or that. Um so in this class, Comedy and Social Discourse, there were three students who will play a major role in the buddy story. Taylor, Tom, and Dan. Um, Tom, I had already knew. From a friend of a friend, from an, from a friend of a friend of an enemy, uh, <laughs> actually, who is now a, who is now a friend, um, Taylor, um, I had met in the class. She was in one of my screenwriting classes, and I thought she was a really great writer. I had done a um, I had done um, a table read of her pilot because we were originally going to do um, a an independent study together. But I had to drop out because of time restrictions. And she was like, hey, I still want you to be a part of the table read if you still want to. I'm like, totally. Um, I did the table read. She was like, thank you so much. You're awesome. Um, And Dan, um, who was my nemesis at the time, because we had two very different styles of students. He was like the class clown and I was there to learn. So I hated him. I hated every time he talked. I'm like, fuck this guy. He's the worst. (laughs) Uh, doesn't have much to do with the story, but, like, we joke about Like, we're we're such good friends now, um, so we, like, joke about it every once in a while. Just
0: for the record, though, he's the worst. He's the that
1: fucking... Guy. Fuck you, Dan. <laughs> um, but, so, they were all in my comedy class. I got to know them pretty well. I actually got to know Dan because we were in a group assignment together. Like, so cliche. Like, we were in a group assignment together, and I realized he actually was, like, really passionate about comedy. He was, like, a nice <laughs> dude. Um, So, they were all three in my class. Um... Fast forward a couple years, um, the buddies, um, like they put up a Facebook page for like open auditions. Um, And so I was like, okay, this seems fun. I'll like audition and then like I'll be a PA or I'll be an extra or something. It'll get my foot in the door. I'll be on a production. Um, So Taylor messages me and she's like, hey, I saw that you were going to be a part of the, you were coming to the open casting call. Um, if this is something that you actually want to do, like, we're writing this character that I think you would be really good for, do you want to come in, like, a little earlier and read for us? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll totally do it. Still not expecting to get it. Like, I was pretty sure, like, they already had someone cast, and it was just, like, for extras, right? Yeah. So I so I go in, um, I do the audition, like, it's just two pages from the script um, and the camera setup. I go in, I do it, I talk a little bit with the with the panel of people, which involved like Tom and Dan, I think no Dan wasn't there. Cause I didn't know he was a part of the production until later. Um, does not matter. Does none of that matters. I don't know why I keep bringing Dan up,
0: <laughs> but, but Dan uh, just fuck, off. But okay. just fuck, I just fuck
1: Dan. I just, <laughs> no, I love you, man. Yep. Much love. Um, so I go in, I do the audition. Um, and I like go to my mom's house and she's like, oh, what are you so fancy for? And I'm like, oh, I just came back from an audition. And she's like, oh, tell me when the show goes on. I'm like, I didn't get the part yet. Uh, <laughs> I probably am not getting the part. Um, so I kind of like put it in the back of my mind, like that was a thing I did. I'm really glad I did it. I, it was my first audition in four years. I was really proud of myself. Um, so I, I kind of forgot about it. Um, and then like a week and a half later, Ben Ben Kaufman, the executive producer, he calls me. Um, I and I was still so sure that I was not going to get the part. I was like, this is really sweet that he's calling me to tell me I didn't get it. Like that is not something that someone would really do. Um, so he calls me and he's like, Hey, it's Ben from buddies. Um, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, uh, I, I'm just calling to say congratulations. Uh, we really want you to play Reina. Uh, we're wondering if that was something that you would still be interested in. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, awesome. Uh, it's Uh, It's one of the lead ensemble roles It's paid, it's this, it's that Uh, Rehearsal starts then, this, then, and there Um, Congrats, we'll see you soon And I'm sitting at a bus stop and I'm like Almost crying, I'm like I'm an actress again
0: (laughs) So was there any like hesitation before Like before doing that since it had been so long Were you sure that you like wanted to do it or was it just like uh, Yeah Uh,
1: Before auditioning or uh, taking the part
0: Um, I mean while you were considering I guess, yeah
1: Oh, there was no consideration, I just took it (laughs) Wow. I, yeah, Ben, like, offered it. I was like, yes, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, he asked me, like, a couple questions. Like, are you going to be free? Um, are you going to be free starting the 28th? I wasn't. I had a class. Um, do you have reliable transportation? Didn't have a car. Uh, said yes to both, because I'm like, I'll fucking figure it out. I don't I don't <laughs> care. I want to do this. Um, like, there was just, like, something in me that was like, okay, um, you're doing the show. You want to be an actress again. This is your life now. Like, it, it's, again, like... Being in a bad marriage, like your, your ex comes back. I'm not comparing it to a bad marriage because acting is being good to me again. Um, But like, like your soulmate comes back after a little while and you're like, oh, right. I've been in love with you this whole time. I don't know why I left. But like I, I needed to leave because I needed to grow as a person. I needed to grow as an artist. I needed to get that confidence back.
0: If we're going to extend this allegory, it's probably like the acting itself was just like your high school sweetheart. And then yeah. you you move out of town and then you run into the girl that reminds you of her. And uh-huh. it's just like gets all shitty and that's in it. And then she ruins your life, makes uh-huh. you swear off it all. And then you come back, your high school sweetheart comes back for the reunion and shit. That's actually
1: what <clears throat> happened with me and my high school sweetheart. <laughs> to talk about my love life for a little while. <laughs> um, dated this person in high school. Uh-huh. Um, love of my life. We dated for um, we dated for like a year in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to NAU. I did an absolute shit bag of a human being, and I hope he's miserable and life has been cruel to him. Uh, and then when I came back home, me and my high school sweetheart immediately started dating again. Um, we were together for like two years. Um, and it was fraught. It was really bad because I was still like suffering from a lot of trauma, and they were suffering from a lot of like stuff that you didn't find out about until later um but like, I was super in love with them, and I was glad to be back with them um and then we had a falling out, and now we're best friends again, so that allegory actually was my life wow. in n a u so yeah, like i yeah, we shot buddies um. Coming out, I think like late October. I hope late October.
0: Was the to... experience different from what you had done before? Was it a thousand
1: percent? Um, Abe, like film and theater, are so different, mm-hmm. and like the the rehearsal processes and like the um, the shooting processes were a lot different. Um, and then I was just a different person. Like I I learned a lot about screenwriting. Obviously, I just got mm-hmm. my screenwriting degree. I knew what TV was like. I had an advanced knowledge of theory. So I wasn't just a dumb actress anymore. Like, I wasn't just someone who had aspirations. I was someone with the knowledge to back it up. Um, and because we were, I was working with, like, a group of my peers, like, literally people who had been in a classroom setting with me, like, I didn't have the same fear that I did, especially, like, when I was a freshman in AU, and I was like, oh, I got to impress all these seniors. I got to impress this professor and that professor, and blah, 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 blah. Um, it, it, it was really a it was this place of respect and friendship and we were like, no one was there to necessarily advance their own goals. We were all there to make this really awesome project. Um, I was terrified of Ben for a very long time cause he was in like a weird position of authority over me cause he was like the producer and like, we're like best friends now and we're super <laughs> close. And he's like, why were you afraid of me? I'm like, you literally were the guy with the money that made the show happen. <laughs> um, and like it was his concept. And I'm like, I don't want to fuck it up. Like these are people that like, like, they, like, the, like, pe- the I was, of the main ensemble cast, I was one of, I was the one person in the dispensary crew who was not also on the writing team, and it was not mm-hmm. part of the initial, like, concept, like, conception of the show, mm-hmm. so there was a little bit of fear in that aspect, where I was like, I don't want to fuck up this character that they've been working on for, like, a year, and it wasn't like that at all, like, they're, like a couple of the scripts were still being written as we were filming, and like the last couple of scripts that we had, like me and the character had really meshed because like I had helped grow her in a way. and like a, like I put a lot of myself into it because like we're very similar people. like we're both like super like neurotic. We're both like trying very hard to impress a new group of people that we're hanging out with that were um, like a n- new group of colleagues and stuff. Um, so there was, like, a little, like, the first couple of weeks, I was sure I was gonna get fired every day I walked on set. They are like, you're not exactly what we're looking for. We want someone prettier. Uh, we want a better actress. Uh, we want someone with a better butt. Like, I was thinking about, like, all of these ways that, like, Ben and Jake were just gonna come to me and be like, hey, we fucked up. Um, please leave. (laughs) And it was, it was never, like, like, they never did anything to make me feel that way. That was all my own anxiety. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was so much different because I had grown and because I had taken that time off. Like I I feel like if I had like gone straight from NAU to like another acting program, I probably like I wouldn't have learned as much about film as I did mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have grown as much as a person. Because I would have just gone from, like, one traumatic experience to maybe another. Like, maybe, probably a better program, but, like, not really, like, sitting down and really facing the unhealthy aspects of acting for me. And I feel like I was able to do that in that four years that I was effectively on hiatus from acting.
0: That's awesome. Love it. Well... Do I get to the point that I'm going to wrap up? Uh-huh. But there are a couple of things that I like to ask everybody at the end of the show. First off, um, anybody in town that you want to shout out. It doesn't have to be a stand-up comedian or an actor. Just anyone, any artist you want to give some recognition to.
1: Hell yeah. Uh, first off, I'm going to shout out um, Michael Palladino, my co-host uh, for Great Exposures. Buck Newman, my co-host um, for Grand Ave Pizza, open mic. It's Tuesdays at Thanks. 9 um matt stores um great comedian great guy hattie hayes killing it in new york already um gonna give a shout out to the girls over at disordered um which is a web series that i'm helping write for um it's about uh, phoenix women dealing with uh, mental illness recovery and it's a comedy it's not as sad as it sounds <laughs> um ali long and hattie are um are executive producing and writing that. Um, Shout out to Shanice Malachi. Um, she gave me my first job on like a set set. Um, she's a great black female uh, director, killing it in Phoenix. Um, hashtag shout out to my Sundance crew. Um, I, I was an intern at Sundance for a little nice. while. Um, Chris Bradley just uh, was one of my professors at ASU, um, just released his first, um, feature, um, I don't have the distribution, um, details yet, but it's called The Trigger, if you can find it, check it out, it's amazing, um, other artists in town that I want to shout out, uh, Red Tank, my former roommate Clipper, you to best, um, Connor is doing something. <laughs> my friend Connor Wanless is in a play called kiss at the stray cat theater.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, Heard great things about that. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping to see it this weekend or next weekend. Um, but check that out. I wish I had more details, <laughs> but I'm a little bit on the spot. Um, yeah. Um, anyone out there who's killing the game, all of my other black female artists. Oh, um, Kiki Nicole. Um, check out her, um, Facebook, she's a poet, um, she's a great, um, they're, they are a great black femme, um, poet, um, Kiki Nicole Poetry, I think, is their Facebook, Kiki Nicole Poetry is their Tumblr, um, check them out, um, great people, um, that really helped me when I was still a poet, very nice, um, that's all I can think of right now, I'm gonna feel like shit if I left someone out, oh, my friend Cody Walker, um, he, his play, Mad Messiah, is wrapping up um, their callbacks tonight, actually. Um, so that play's going to be out sometime in November. Um, follow him to get more details. I've read the script. Um, I read, like, the third draft, and it was hilarious. and It's changed so much since then. Um, so go ahead and check that out when it's available.
0: Next thing I'd like to ask, just any personal plugs coming up.
1: Um... This one's going to be after the podcast, but I'm just going to say it anyways. I'm going to be at um, Stores Objection um, October 6th. I'm going to be the co-counsel for that. Um, October 19th is going to be the next Great Exposure show. Um, A little bit about Great Exposure. Um, Every month we get the best of Phoenix comedians and some from L.A. and some from Tucson. Um, We get them in their underwear uh, and we do it to raise money for charity. Um, I, th- this month, this, in September, we were raising money for Sojourner Center, uh, which is a domestic abuse shelter, um, for people who are trying to make the transition from domestic, um, violence situations to independence. Um, they're also one of the few shelters that accepts pets, which I think is really great because I know yeah. I have made, uh, housing decisions based on whether or not I could bring my cats, So I can't imagine being in a situation where my life was literally in danger, um, Great organization. Um, I think they are going to be our permanent partner or a permanent-ish partner. Um, So come out, support Sojourner Center at Plasma Lounge on the 19th. Um, The 22nd is going to be Phoenix Zine Fest. A little earlier in the story, I was talking about Carissa Lucille. Uh, She is one of the organizers for that. Um, The Zine Queen of Phoenix, (laughs) one of my personal friends. Um, I will be a vendor there um, with my Zine Fist at 10. Uh, which is about my time as a uh, speech and debater, which I alluded to a little bit earlier in the story. Um, I have a few submissions from some people, um, and it's turned out to be a really great thing. I'm super excited to show it to people. Um, it's becoming everything I was hoping for and more.
0: So just kind of as a sidebar, since I don't really know much about zine culture, like what what was your thought process beside, behind like, using that structure, using that medium to, like, put these stories together?
1: So I had always wanted to write a zine because, um, so a zine, basically, it's an independent publishing thing, and it can be about anything. Um, a lot of zines, like, you probably know them from fan zines, like, a lot of the pre-internet days, that was how fans connected with each other, was you wrote a zine, you mailed it out, you talked about it, you wrote letters, Um, and now in the digital age, um, there's still a lot of print zines. Like I have a whole box full of like 30 or 40 print zines. And it's one of the ways that we're trying to keep, uh, print publishing alive in, in an increasingly digital age. Um, and zines can be about anything you want. Um, you know, like wrestling, you know, music, your own diaries, basically anything, um, and a lot of the zine culture in Phoenix is based around, like, feminism and, like, intersectionality and stuff, um, and poetry. Um, so I had been involved in the zine culture when I was doing poetry, and I'm still involved in it. Um, and it was always something that I had wanted to do. Um, I had, I had a concept for, um, a fem slash zine, like, female-female, uh, fan fiction um that never really got off the ground because i was a little bit too ambitious for it um and i did it with my ex-girlfriend and then we broke up in a spectacular fashion Ooh. so that did not <laughs> that did not come off the ground talk about fem slash oh, oh no that was a good one uh <laughs> fem slasher tires more like uh she was another in a line of garbage people that i dated but that's for a different podcast
0: <laughs> but you also have recorded that which we i also <laughs> have
1: recorded i think i talk about her in that episode anyways um so yeah I had always wanted to publish a zine Mm. um but I didn't really know what to do it on um and I had really conflicting feelings about my time on the speech and debate team Mm. because a it was one of the greatest experiences of my life I met the love of my life there um who's now my best friend um I met you know so many great people Um, I learned so much about myself as an actress, as, um, as a thinker, it gave me the confidence to go out and be a professional actress and a professional writer, but it also was responsible for so much of my anxiety, and the way that I was coached sometimes was the exact opposite of what I needed, and I spent so much of my time trying to impress people rather than trying to learn, and, like, the summer that I didn't make it to nationals, I was my first complete psychotic break. I didn't leave my bed for a week and I didn't talk to anyone. And I just, I, it was the closest I had ever really come to suicide because I felt like my whole life was over and everything I had been working for. And I was 17 at the time. Mm. And so I was just thinking like, I really can't keep these feelings bottled up anymore. And, And the reason why I was so hesitant to talk about like kind of the underside of it was because it kind of felt like I was betraying a parent. Like when you have like kind of a shitty parent or you have a, you have a flawed parent rather, you don't really want to talk about the bad times. Cause it feels like a betrayal and it felt like speech had done so much good for me. All the bad things must've been like something wrong with me and that wasn't how it is. Um, and I, like as more and more of my friends who were still doing college debate or who had graduated with me and we're like kind of going through the same things that I had, like the farther away they got, they were having some of the same feelings I had. I'm like, Oh shit. I'm not, a I'm not the only one that feels this way and b, like, I need to give these people a venue to talk. Um, so like I like wrote up a quick like call for submissions and I got some really beautiful ones in. Um, and I've, I kind of sat down, I just wrote my own story and like it was such a release, just getting all of these feelings out for the first time in, like, a really long time just kind of talking about these things that had happened to me. Not necessarily, like, nothing, like, overtly traumatic happened to me, but just, like, the pressure of, like, being a 16-year-old girl and, like, wanting to win and not sleeping and not eating and feeling proud of that. And, like, I'm here to work. I'm not here to make friends. So-and-so's a bitch. And, like, I'm 16. Um, just the just the way that that affected me and the way that that's still affecting me. Um, like, Zine felt like a very... like a very raw way to get those raw feelings out. Um, and being able to, like the nature of a collaborative zine also meant like I was able to like kind of co- couch my stories around the, the feelings of other people. So I didn't feel like I was the only one, which is how I felt yeah. for, for a little while. Um, so that's kind of why I started doing zines. Um, I know Chris is already super stoked on it. Um, I'm really excited to show it to people. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of it and I'm, I'm happy that's going to be my first scene.
0: So awesome. I mean, that's the
1: 22nd. It's the 22nd. Um, yeah. Phoenix zine fest. Um, it's, um, it's basically a zine bazaar, um, zinesters from like across the nation um mostly from phoenix um i know there's gonna be some people from la and portland coming out um selling their zines there's gonna be workshops um i think i'm gonna be on the POC talk um which is um a panel about being a person of color an artist of color in phoenix um so catch that um there'll be more information on the facebook page as it gets closer to the date um but yeah, going to be the twenty second. Come out, come see some really great zines. We're also going to be a, a lot of food trucks
0: there. I hope. <laughs> so. Um, and so okay, so we got that coming up. We have uh, great exposure coming up. Mm-hmm. What anything else around the corner?
1: Um, I host uh, the Grand Avenue Pizza Open Mic every Tuesday at nine. Uh, Grand Avenue Pizza Company. Uh, it's in downtown Phoenix. Um, it's a great mic. Uh, I hosted with Buck Newman. Um, I just started hosting it a couple of months ago, and it's been one of the one of the best experiences I've had in comedy so far. Um, every week something new and weird and wacky happens. Um, if you are an established comic, please come out and say hi. If you're a brand new comic, I love when it's people's first times up there. Um, I'm, me and Buck are really working to make it like a safe place for people to try out new material and try out stand-up for the first time. Um, it's always a really good time. Um, so that's Tuesdays. Sign up started at eight forty-five. Uh, we try to get the show started around nine nine fifteen. So come out, grab some pizza. Um, I know they have like a two for uh, two slice special uh, for like six bucks. Um, yeah, message me for more details if you want. Um, Where can they reach you? Um, you can follow me on Facebook. Like I think you can actually follow me. I think you don't have to friend me. uh
0: it's okay you don't have to friend me you don't have to friend me
1: um but yeah hit me up on facebook uh dunkley Mm. um you can message me and say you found me through the podcast because i don't usually accept friend requests out of the blue Mm. just because it's mostly a lot of creeps or like porn stars (sighs) um you can follow me on twitter and instagram at a violet child um Twitter is where most of my like uh, where a lot of my sex rants are um I'm trying to to advertise more on there but most of it usually goes on Facebook but um if you want to know me a little bit more personally there's my Facebook um and if you want to hear see pictures of my niece uh, there's my Instagram because that's all I've been posting for the past nine months because why would I post anything else <laughs> um but yeah Facebook Twitter Instagram um I have a website um you can look at it, I guess it's Um I'm still working on it, but like you can check it out, I guess. Tell me it sucks. <laughs> um, and I think that's pretty much it. Um, if you friend me or if you follow me on Facebook, you'll get more information mm-hmm. on buddies as it, as uh, we finish editing it um, and are working on a release date. Um, but hopefully
0: by the end of fall, we'll have it out. Excellent. And the last thing I'd like to ask everybody is uh, if you were to encounter somebody who is, trying the first day jump into doing what you did, following your path. What one piece of advice would you want to give them?
1: Damn. I mean, the the piece of advice that everybody gives is you're going to bomb your first time. Um, And that's, that's usually true. Um, I guess my advice is you don't have to be everything for everyone And be wary of who you let in because there there are people who want to encourage you and genuinely want to make their art scenes better. And that means having good artists and having genuinely good people. There are some people that want to tear you down and people who are jealous of you and people who don't want more people like who want to keep it a boys club or want to keep it this or that. And they'll try and discourage you. And that's especially to the female comics. Like there are a lot of male comics who are going to try and bully you off of the scene or going to just try and fuck you and make you seem like a slut. Um, Fuck them. Those guys suck anyways. Um, Just keep being funny. Keep working on your stuff and don't get too caught up in the politics or like the drama of it all. Like, if you have to just do your set and leave just do your set and leave like just keep doing it as long as you keep on getting something out of it and don't you don't have to give all of yourself to be an artist you just have to like what you do and want to entertain people
0: oh, i love that all right don't don't give everything to everyone be wary of who you let in and you just have to want to entertain people all right thank you so much Trajan.
1: yeah thank you this was really fun <laughs>
0: Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistphx at gmail.com.